Hello, hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of... Beneath the Screen of the Ultra Critics, Pilgrim. Oh. <laughs> Very rarely do we have a theme. Yeah, <laughs> no, I figured I would... Connect yeah. so perfectly. Oh, yeah. Set it up. <laughs> uh, I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Thad. Yes, that's true. And my other co-host, Kara. Always. And today we're taking a break from Antifa to talk about westerns. Yeah. Although I'm sure we will find ways. Genre. <laughs> yeah, but I'm sure we'll find some ways to parallel anti-fascist themes anyway. Because why not? Honestly, the yeah. West has a lot to do with Antifa. Sometimes <laughs> accidentally. Well, it's the thing about westerns uh, is that they are morally fascinating in the things that they will put forward as values while ignoring the ways that, like, the West is built on uh, betraying all of those values. Yeah. It's it's super fun. It's also one of the things where, like, it's at times either an omission of a cultural genocide or a celebration of a cultural genocide. Uh, which is one of the reasons why I'm very interested to hear your take on uh, the film that I chose to talk about today, the uh, the Japanese remake of Unforgiven, because yeah. Kara has not Kara has not seen the original, so I had to fill her in a little bit about uh, some of the differences and additions. Yeah, no, uh, it's, it's one of the things where by removing the star, it changes a lot of things. But before yeah, yeah. we're getting ahead of ourselves, before we get yes. started, uh, the mm-hmm. three movies mm-hmm. we'll be talking about today as we talk about Westerns. Uh, let's see, I got him right here. Johnny mm. Qatar, Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, and the remake, as Thad was talking about, of Unforgiven, a 2013 movie. Yeah, Johnny Guitar from 1954, Man Who Shot Liberty Valance from 1962, and Unforgiven was remade in Japan in 2013. How so, a bit of a time. that director's name? Uh, the, they actually have a Korean name, uh, okay. because they are, uh, Japanese Korean, uh, so it'd be Sung Il Lee, I think, but I am, because, because the name is not Japanese, I'm not sure if I'm saying it right. <laughs> it's, it's one of those names that you have to wonder, like, given it's a Korean name, but would be spoken with the Japanese accent, it's like the, is the name Anna or Anna kind of question, like, yeah. how, how would yeah. that director himself say it? I, I am uncertain uh, to my shame because I, I honestly like I, I this is the only movie of theirs that I'd seen uh, have seen yet. But uh, reading up about them a little bit, I uh, I really need to look more into their fil- filmography because he, he seems like a very interesting person. The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance is directed by John Ford. And John oh, who's Carter. that? I've <laughs> never heard of him. By, um, Nicholas Ray. Um, hmm. John Ford, for those of you who may not know, is a director that Quentin Tarantino hates. <laughs> I don't think I knew that he hated John Ford. Uh, I only found out because I was doing some research, and apparently, because of all like John Ford films have a sort of unfortunate, not unfortunate, has a white supremacy in mm. running through most of his films. And I say yeah. that unfortunate because it's unintentional or not, it's there. You can't argue. Yeah, that. it is. It is in the air, right? And so for Tarantino, that's a bridge too far for him. Mm. So he's like, he's actually just flat out said, I don't like the man. God, it's weird to hear Tarantino make a moral stand about something. <laughs> I know. But but you know what? Like, if you're gonna, look, if you're gonna have a reason to hate John Ford, like, that is the one that I can't begrudge. Well, there's probably right. more. But, like, right. that's, that is a solid, like, I can't, yeah, I can't begrudge that. <laughs> um. So, 
Out of curiosity, before we get too in-depth, have you guys seen any of these before outside of the ones you chose? Uh, I think you had got me to watch Johnny Guitar before, but it's been a while. Okay. Nope, just the one I chose. Awesome. <laughs> for, those, uh, for those of you at home, I had chosen Johnny Guitar, Kara had chosen The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, mm-hmm. and Pat had chosen The Unforgiven. I, I think this says a lot about us as consumers, because that is like, let's make it weird, and you're like, let's make it obscure, and I'm like, let's just let's just go with one of the the slightly the lesser known classics, but let's hit the canon. Like, I, I think that that says a lot. Obscure. I legitimately uh, love Johnny Cadet, and I think no, no, I, I mean, yeah, but also well, your legitimate also go that way yeah i legitimately love like the man who shot liberty valance like i will pick up a bat and fight for that movie but (laughs) just where our tastes lead us and what we want to see and want to watch and want to share i think is is interesting um all right so real quick uh care do you want to do the rundown of each movie yeah okay um so I am terrible with names, so y'all are going to have to jump in and correct me. So very quickly, the man who shot Liberty Valance is – their characters don't matter. Uh, Jimmy Stewart. <laughs> Jimmy Stewart plays a lawyer named Ransom Stoddard coming Can from I the big city out of the Can I just say I want that to be the tagline for every movie? The characters don't matter. Yeah, the characters don't matter. Uh, Jimmy Stewart comes – Marvel Universe. How dare you? Uh, Jimmy Stewart is a young ingenue, you know, 18 going on 50, I think. It's a little cr- The age is no, a little he's crazy. just at the beginning of his law career. Uh, and yeah, so when- J- Jimmy People Stewart is a wide-eyed... Right? Yeah, when when did this movie come out? Uh, 1962. Yeah. So, yeah, Jimmy Stewart would have been in his early 50s uh, yeah. playing, <laughs> playing a young lawyer. I mean, honestly, right, so, so- this is at the end of John Ford's career. Yeah. So Jimmy Stewart is a wide-eyed young ingenue <laughs> that comes out to a town in the Wild West to inflict his law books on it. He has a run-in with a local bandit, which he is severely injured, and he is rescued by the local laid-back uh, gunslinger, who's, of course, our great friend, John Wayne. In the middle of this, he falls into the lap of a young actress whose name I cannot remember because I am apparently a misogynist. <laughs> Uh, Haley, who is the who is uh, Vera, the Vera Miles is the uh, actress's name. Uh, and Haley is the belle of this town. Who John's who uh, John Wayne is deeply in love in, and Jimmy Jonathan Stewart is John Wayne's character's name. And Jimmy Stewart begins to lure her away, not intentionally, but through his love of law and education. So we have these two men that represent the hardest, most wonderful masculine parts of the West, and then the sort of incoming educated man from the East. They're actually friends and they get along and it all begins to boil over with the local thug. Finally, after a series of events, uh, the bright eyed lawyer gets himself a gun and confronts the local thug and shoots him dead, shooting him forward on a career of success. However, we find spoilers. The truth is, maybe, that in fact, the young ingenue did not in fact kill the bandit shooting in success, but in fact, his friend, the gunslinger, was the one that shot the bandit. Gracefully, not that gracefully, stepping aside, allowing the more educated man the rights to the woman, which is of course not at all weird, (laughs) and spinning her off into a better world as he dies alone unloved because apparently when you break up with somebody when you're in your early 20s you will never love again 
<laughs> he didn't die alone. Like Pompey was still around. But it's it's actually very much a story I about. Thad, you just gave Pompey more agency than the movie ever did. I know. I I refuse not to. The the movie. So so the sort of turn is that like this bright eyed young guy finally takes the way of the gunslinger, but then this like brings civilization to this outpost. And that this sort of like older, wiser gunslinger is like left behind in this and is sort of destroyed by it. And there's a conflict about like whether or not the woman, which one of these two men she loves more, she loves them both. Why can't she be with them both? I don't know. I can't make these rules. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. If someone's like, Kara, who do you choose? John Stewart. Oh, John. Good Lord. John, John Wayne or Jim. <laughs> Honestly, if there's been said. John Stewart or Jimmy Wayne. If someone said, do you want. Jimmy Stewart or John Wayne to be your husbando, I'd be like, I can marry both. We're a territory, not a state. Like, <laughs> but also, um, also, it, it is I heterosexual as a sick and twisted boy in life. Yeah, and as, then uh, and so the the whole thing though is a sort of flashback. As at the go. end of his I, life, he comes back to the funeral of his friend who's died. And John this, Wayne died by the way. John ways. Wayne died, and so there's this sort of very somber building tone as both Jimmy Stewart and his wife reflect on the loss of this man that meant so much to them. It's very beautiful and moving and emotional. I first watched it with my grandfather, who sounds like John Wayne. And your uh, grandfather has a far deeper voice than John Wayne could ever hope to. It's legitimately like sh- shaking. Just yeah, it's like he has like Mufasa voice. But um, I just really like this movie. It's very emotional. You'll cry. Um, but it's also a, a classic western, just classic western canon. I would say one of the best of John Wayne's works. I, I would, I would put it above True Grit. There, I said it. Uh, no, it's definitely about True Grit, but I don't think it's the best, but we can argue about that some other time. Yeah, that's not the point um, of this particular <laughs> Sorry. Uh, Johnny Guitar. Johnny Guitar is a weird movie. It has a lot of switchbacks <laughs> and a lot of turns. I, I think what it has a lot of is Joan Crawford just chomping on scenes and also... Yeah, Joan uh, oh, Crawford... Wasn't the played what Emma? She is. Oh yeah, and and Mercedes McCambridge as Emma Small playing just the bloodthirstiest <laughs> woman I have ever seen in a movie. Like, oh she, yeah, every look that she gives is the look of pure, pure distilled hatred of everyone, <laughs> and just the the want at all times to see you dead before her. Like she. <laughs> Yeah, this, this is a woman that needs a crack across the face like no one I've ever met. Oh my god. <laughs> anyway, so I'm going. This one is hard to go through all the plot lines, but essentially, uh, Joan Crawford runs a saloon at a place that a train station is about to come through and about to build, which is of course going to destroy the local cattle, uh, the local cattle farmers. Cattle farmers? Wow. Uh, herders? What, it, what it will do is it will break, break the control of the cattle barons. Yeah, it will yes. break the control of the cattle barons, and she is going to lure in the railroad. Uh, at the same time, there's a, a gang uh, led by what? The Dancing, dancing Kid? The kid. Dancing Kid <laughs> has an emotional relationship with and the daughter and the sort of leader of the cattle barons, Emma, the aforementioned bitch, um, <laughs> is also in love with him. At the same time, a young ingenue, mm-hmm. not really that young, but mm-hmm. a really goofy-looking tall blonde guy with a guitar shows up that has been invited uh, invited by Joan Crawford. And again... Hayden, the titular Johnny Guitar. 
And as things go off, we find out secrets and lies, love and hatred, that Johnny Guitar is actually a great gunman that abandoned Joan Crawford years ago, and she's moved on, but she hasn't, and he's moved on, but he never will. And eventually there's a posse, a gunfight, someone is rescued from being hanged, someone is not rescued from being hanged, and ultimately a shootout between two women. <laughs> and only one can walk away, and it's probably going to be the one that has top billing. <laughs> <laughs> You've got the hang of this genre already. Uh. Uh, it's 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 worth watching. Um, there is a lot of I don't know how to explain it other than like reaction shots. I, I was noticing that there's like always where someone says something, Joan Crawford reacts. Something else happens. Sometimes she reacts to things that she herself said, which seems <laughs> odd. Like this. That movie, like, not to not to dive too much into it, but like, it has such an odd energy to it. I love it. It is. It's it's <laughs> it's super weird, and there's like a lot of character building that doesn't really need to be there, but it's kind of uh, enjoyable to watch. The thing about and then, Johnny Guitar is you when you watch Johnny Guitar, you don't see any other movie but Johnny Guitar. <laughs> then you watch other westerns, like oh, that's a little bit of Johnny Guitar right there. Like it's a hundred percent of its own thing, and doesn't mm. follow any particular rhythm that you're used to. The scene, if it goes someplace, like oh, I've seen this scene a hundred times, but nope, how they're talking is completely different. What the hell's going on? Well, like the weird part of it is, so of course, the mysterious man shows up just with a guitar, has way too much arrogance, fist fights a man down. You're like, okay, I know this story. This is the story <laughs> wherein he turns out to be a badass and he's the main character, and then he just wanders off. off for like 45 <laughs> minutes and he's not there and you're like oh okay so it's 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 Joan Crawford's story and she's gonna take control of the mob and like turn them on and you're like no no oh okay the other movie has remembered that it's here and it's popped back <laughs> into existence okay so let's let's follow that thread it's very <laughs> odd it feels a lot like 15 or 20 movies put in a blender it's not bad it's like if you put a big mac in a blender you're like i know what this tastes like but this seems weird (laughs) i agree i guess i don't Uh, know if i would have put it that way but it like it is Uh yeah no it is interesting because it it seems like it loses its way at a few points but by the end it seems like no this actually hangs together pretty solidly well, yeah. we'll get back to this uh, in a bit. Uh, yeah. It just keeps moving. And then, okay, it's really quick. So, Unforgiven, uh, Hubei, Jubei. I'm not. Jube. What? Say it again. Jubei. Jubei? Yeah. Um, Jubei. Jubei. Ken anyway. Watanabe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like, what the heck's going on? <laughs> Very, we're, we, we're. You want we, me to do it? <laughs> No, because you will just, just ramble about things. <laughs> no, okay. So, um, Unforgiven. It's uh, this is actually a little bit different, from, apparently, from the Clint Eastwood movie. Um, <laughs> it be it opens with a man brutally murdering several other men that are pursuing him in an act of savagery, and we slam forward in time to where a couple threads start weaving together. One is a town that has a sheriff. This is all Japanese, so it's in Hokkaido. So I'm using English terms and words to give you an idea of the roles these people play, but it's all Japanese, and it's very based in Japanese culture. Um, The not brutally leading, I suppose, 
a sheriff, there's a, there's a small town and a prostitute has her face badly mutilated by one of her clients and the other prostitutes want vengeance. And instead the sheriff proclaims that what the offenders are going to do is they're going to pay the saloon keeper who owns their pimp is he's going to be paid in horses for the mutilation of the prostitute and she and the other girls are going to get nothing. The prostitutes are outraged by this and they put a thousand dollar bounty on the head of whoever kills the men. This means that all of the other gunslingers that come to town are brutally beaten by the sheriff who says that he will have order. He does not want this to get any worse or this to escalate. And then instead three men, uh, a one of the soldiers of the man that we first saw, the brutally beating guy, Ken Watanabe, uh, looks up his old friend and says, old friend, I know that you've retired from the murder business, but we can make $1,000 in old-timey money if we just kill these two idiots. And his friend says no, and then realizes his farm is failing and says, yes, yes, I will go with you, and I will help you murder these guys. And along the way, they pick up a young idiot, um, who a young idiot who wants to prove himself as a killer. And so they go to this town where it kind of goes sideways can, but can, I, they, can I butt in for a second? Yeah. It's important to note Jubei uh, living on his farm with his children alone because his wife died several years ago. He has also retired from murdering for a long time and has sort of promised his now a uh, few years dead wife that he will no longer, you know, be killing people. Also, in a difference from the original story, mm-hmm. uh, the original Unforgiven, uh, Jubei's wife is a, uh, oh, I'm blanking now all of a sudden, character. I know. Ainu, thank you. Uh, a member of the uh, native population uh, called the Ainu. Uh, and there are, uh, well, let's just say it's not that different from being uh, married to a, a native woman would have been for like a cowboy in the, uh, the Old West. There's, there's consequences. There, it's, it's interesting because um, uh, Thais is the original Unforgiven. There wasn't a native plot line. And in this, it's very much about the loss of the Ainu people's independence of them being subject to brutalization of the fear of what will happen to them in the future. And what it is to be a child of both cultures. Yeah. There's a, there's a very like grieving pervasive sense of loss over and over again throughout the film, loss of self, loss of life, loss of culture, loss of identity, loss of hope. Um, And so ultimately the, the, the three men, go to town it goes badly jubei is badly beaten and then he recovers and they go to kill the first of the two men responsible for cutting up the prostitute's face and the first guy actually isn't responsible and he was just there with his dumb friend and tried to stop it but life is brutal and so it turns out that jubei's old friend is afraid to murder the guy he breaks his nerve breaks at the last minute and the young kid turns away as well and so jubei realizes he has to finish it and he kills the man. His friend finally confesses that he is not a killer, that he can't do this and rides away. Jubei lets him leave and says that he and the young kid are going to kill the other guy, collect their award and be done with this mess. His friend who's read off is captured by the sheriff, brutally tortured for and brutally tortured. Well, he's captured by the sheriff. Sorry. I'm getting he's captured by the sheriff. Jubei and the kid kill the other guy, but the kid accidentally leaves his knife in the man, which is an Ainu blade. So they kidnap Jubei's friend, demanding to know how the Ainu are involved, because they are going to massacre them if he points the finger at the Ainu and demanding to know where Jubei's family is, so that way they can kill them as well, and he dies without talking, but with a threat. Jubei is crazy, and he will <laughs> kill them all. 
We go to Jubei and the young kid. The kid is shaken by the fact he has killed a second man. And also, I, I don't think you've mentioned the fact that the kid, Goro, is also Ainu, in, uh, a mixed uh, Ainu yes. with, uh, from a... Uh, yeah, he's, yeah. He's, he is, it comes up that he has mixed himself, which is why he carried an Ainu blade, and that he has a lot of rage against his Japanese or Wa father. So uh, the scarred prostitute comes, she gives, she, she, none of this is her idea. This is all the other girl's ideas, but she turns over the reward, tells Jubei his friend has been murdered, that he, and Jubei is broken. He, he gives them both directions to his home, gives him the money, says to live a good life, and sends them away to take care of his children as he walks to confront the sheriff, where he brutally, brutally murders the man kills the shopkeeper, burns down the town, and says if any of them ever tell the story of what happened and, and speak of the prostitutes or the Ainu being involved, he will come back, kill them all, and he walks into the snow, never to be seen again. Bum, bum, bum. Yeah, very different, uh, interestingly different ending from the original. Yeah. It's, we can, it, we, the can, ending, we can circle back around to that later. The <laughs> ending leaves it open as to whether or not he survives, but either way, even if he lives in his body, the man he was has once again died. All right. So, what, what these are all. Uh, I would say that uh, two of these three movies are what we like to call uh, sad as hell. <laughs> <laughs> so, what's interesting about Unforgiven? Let's start start here. Okay. The original Unforgiven is, I believe, written and directed by Eastwood as well as starring. Yes. It was, I don't think it was written by him. Uh, no, no, it, it was not. It was not written by him. It was written by uh, David Peoples, I think. Okay. But it was directed by Eastwood. Yes. Yes. yes, yes, yes. It is an Eastwood vehicle, 100% through and through. Mm. Yes. So, uh, Peoples, by the way, also being a writer of the original Blade Runner and 12 Monkeys. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, 1992. But the whole point of the original Unforgiven is Eastwood is absolutely necessary for that story because it's a sort of a mediation on the Eastwood legacy. Mm. Yes. It's about the is Eastwood looking at his Hollywood career as an icon of violence and vengeance and mm. then going how does that play out in the waning years? And what we see is a man so used to violence that he has no other way to solve the problems even when confronted with violence. He is nothing, and even then, like, it opens as it starts. My name is William Money. I've killed everything that's walked or crawled at some point. Women and mm. children, dog, whatever. Yeah. He is legitimately a murdering bastard. Mm. Whereas the remake, Wanatabi's character... So, Much more ambiguous. To the point where what his best friend goes, you're going to tell him that's not true? Like, most of it is implied as a myth. Yeah, well, that, that, I mean, yeah, I, I go back and forth on that because I'm not sure if his if his friend doesn't know whether or not that's true, or if his friend does know that it's not true. Right. Either way, it does yeah, yeah, yeah. it does leave more ambiguity. And plus, mm. since it's not an Eastwood vehicle, it's no. now free to be about the other characters more so than the original is. Absolutely. I mean, uh, and the original was still stacked with like solid talent. Morgan because, Freeman, like, yeah. Richard yeah. Harris, mm. uh, Gene freaking Hackman as the sheriff yep. of the small town. Mm -hmm. I think one of the things about this is that Jubei is a tragic figure because the scene at the beginning where you see him being hotly pursued 
and killing these men is the way he talks about it is like it was panic like i can kill and i will kill anything but i don't want to die as long as i am not the one that's going to die i will do any horrible low thing to survive Hmm. and he's ashamed of that about himself and we even see that later after he's badly beaten he grabs his friend and like and is in tears he's like please don't let me die and he's panicking and he's like don't tell anyone about this Hmm. and he has very little pride as a warrior in that Hmm. sense we also see him get kicked by a horse and knocked down in the horse poop and he's like sometimes it's monday (laughs) (laughs) but but like this, this is a man that knows what it is to like he knows what he's made of and not at the but at his deepest core, he's not made of steel. He's made of fear and insanity. Yeah, he, the the thing that the, the thing that he will like he he will kill in rage and anger like that. I mean, it, it follows a similar like there's a, a the thing from the original movie where the him not drinking anymore is also right. tied to like, yeah. the, those well, sorts of what Lee does by not just making it region-specific of Japan, and Mm. you guys mentioned it in the synopsis, he includes the colonization and the violence of the conquest of the... uh, I I knew. And, like, the natives aren't mentioned at all. Indigenous people are not... No, not a part of... ...mentioned at all in Unforgiven. They are literally not a presence. They are not only present, but the conquest of them and the attempted murder of them ties mm. in intrinsically to the whole point because again Eastwood's gone so now Lee is looking at the violence of a nation mm. and trying to look at how they come to terms with that because Japan yeah. also has a violent history Absolutely. and it's uh, for those who don't know like the Ainu are the native people of northern Japan Hokkaido and they they're real they're real people yeah. and they really exist and one of the like peculiarities of this is um, to put it in perspective, Japan wouldn't acknowledge them as a minority group, even though they spoke, they did not look Japanese, and they do not speak a language in any way related to Japanese. Both Japanese and Ainu are language isolates. Yeah. These are a completely separate people that they conquered so thoroughly that they almost wiped them off the face of the earth and did not acknowledge them as a minority group until 97. Like, this was a, yeah. a brutal affair. This was selling women to Japanese husbands kind of affair. And I mean, one of the things that I wish, like, I I, I wish I had even better context for this movie, because, like, I I know more than, like, a man on the street about a lot of this, but also, (laughs) but also, like, this director, like I said, that, like, uh, Lee Sang-il is Korean, but, but, like, his family has lived in Japan for three generations, so he is also a member of a minority group in Japan. Right. And so I'm, I'm really curious about... Like I, I, the I, I want to like see what I can track down about like the production of this movie or like interviews and things because like this is a person who, looking back through their like filmography, at least like looking at synopses and things, like this seems to be someone who who wants to like who who has like a, a, an interest in telling stories about like you know other lives in Japan outside right. of just yeah yeah. And this at is the top of the it's, it's interesting. 
I'm so sorry, but because it's not just about the loss of the Ainu culture, but it's also people talking about the end of the samurai, the end of right. the shogunate. Right. Like there are many, many things that are falling apart now, and they're all wearing a lot of these people are wearing Western clothing. And they're talking about the advent of coal and what's coming next. And so there's just this pervasive sense of, like, lost hopelessness. Mm. And that, like, the old ways weren't better, but are the new ways going to be anything worth having? Most Westerns, especially American Westerns, are revisionist history of what happened in the Old West. Yeah, yeah. What makes Unforgiven uh, unique in in the modern era is the fact that it's a Western that's not attempting to revised history so much mm. as shine a light on it i don't know how accurate it is in terms of yeah yeah that's that's it's I, at least I, acknowledging the violence yeah, no, I'm, and the conversation that happened yeah no i'm absolutely like that's one of the things i'm really curious about because like clearly like this this director is not a member of that community but is someone who is from a more marginal community like a, so I'm, I'm curious about how that like uh, plays out since I don't have more direct like understanding of of what is, uh, you know how that how I'm not, not only like how they're adapting those experiences I guess. Also, there's something just really sort of key about seeing swords and guns. Mm, right. Especially in a movie that you're watching for Western, and I'm like this is weird. <laughs> also well also like considering how many like m- most of the samurai movies i've seen are of course much older because right. you know kurosawa is going to be my primary reference point and uh like this movie is also fascinating to see because much like unforgiven it lets the west look uglier while still being beautifully shot right and, it's also, <laughs> yeah. and this movie also does that because it's a different landscape yeah the the geography because the West, almost more than any other genre, requires a sort of natural landscape in the background. Mm-hmm. And we have, when we think of a West, there are certain scenes we expect to see. And since this isn't uh, Monument Valley, <laughs> it's really weird to see all these different variations of landscapes that you, yeah, in the Western yeah. that you don't normally see. Well, did you see that So uh, Jubei's farm is... It's an inlet. Like, there's, like, the ocean, and then you yeah. can see the ocean, like, comes... This is going to show how Midwestern I am. Uh, <laughs> the ocean, like, comes into the land and makes, like, a river. Yeah. And, like, that <laughs> is embarrassing, but I don't know what that is. <laughs> I didn't know that the water comes inside like that. <laughs> like, I don't... Like, I don't, I don't get how yeah. that works. Uh, yeah. uh, we uh, have lakes here. It's yeah, like great. And I wish not to think about it. And angry, angry rivers. <laughs> um. Always angry, constantly rising. God is well known the creek don't rise. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right. So now we'll move on uh, to the manager. But yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, so, so just generally, sorry. Uh, before we jump ahead, uh, so I, I am curious, like, because in a lot of ways. I like this movie maybe better than I like the original. And, like, the original I, I feel okay on, but I'm much more, like, uh, I was always a much more earlier Westerns guy than I was the the sort of more modern ones. But I don't know, like, this this movie, like you said, because it's unshackled from Clint Eastwood, like, it gets to be about more than, like, a meta-commentary. Right. And, like, I still, I, I still like the original movie. Like, it's, it's well put together. It has a great cast. 
but like there's something about this one that like the the freedom that it has and and also bringing in those like real like th- those ideas of of what real like, world the, consequences of the- yeah real world consequences the presence of conquered peoples like all of these sorts of things uh that i i don't know resonated uh, really well with me yeah no it, it it was very bizarre to watch it because it is a Japanese language film filmed in Japan by Japanese or Japanese cultural people. Like this is a Japanese film from its head to its toes through and through. They just adapted a work. But the fact that it speaks so loudly to the genre of Western that it, like the, the author, the screenwriter, who's also the director, like perfectly skims it. That's perfectly intelligible to me as a, like a Western knowledgeable American is very odd. I I'm very curious as to know what like Japanese media felt about it. Hmm. We should look that up later. <laughs> so, I tried. It's all in Japanese. How yo. the West was shaped. Yes. <laughs> the man who shot Liberty Valance, John Floyd is essentially the most, the name synonymous with the entire genre. Yeah. yeah. Um, when you think of a Western or if you m- think of a movie that symbolizes why you don't like Westerns, chances <laughs> are it's a John Ford movie. Yeah, whether you like it or not, John Ford defined like the tent poles of the American Western. Uh, right, for good or for bad. <laughs> and The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance is in a weird place in the Ford's career because this is after the searches. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this is after, and this is now in the period where John Wayne is taking a good hard look at how he's portrayed the West, mm-hmm. and he's starting to show more diversity in his casting. Because, mm. like we mentioned, Poppy. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, there is a vibrant Mexican community in this movie. Yeah, just there in the background the whole time. Granted, yeah. <laughs> in the background, but still uh, there. In a way there that they no weren't normally though. present. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is not uh, to say that uh, he never had them. Um, I know my darling Clementine, one of the characters. He, yeah, it, it's not unusual to Ford movies, but the amount of which they play into the story this particular type time mm. around is, I think. Yeah, yeah. They're they're allowed to be a real presence in the town as opposed to like I don't know, just a little. Uh, like one walking character with an accent or something. Right. Well, and also, as Kara pointed out, the point of this one is almost, to some degree, it feels like Ford defending his revisionists of history. Mm, but if if the uh, legend gets bigger than fact, print the legend, that right. whole thing. Yeah. And in a weird way, it does parallel how we treat history and current political events. Yeah. <laughs> The, the thing that we are as opposed to the reality. Yeah, well, the philosophy also, that we are living in the consequences of at present. Right. <laughs> well, it's also so. So the sort of the moment where Liberty Valance, this uh, bandit, is finally shot. So there's only the John Wayne's character is actually at an angle and can't be seen by Jimmy Stewart. So he he says, like, I am the one that killed him. You did shoot at him, but uh, my shot was the one that killed him, which makes sense because he is an excellent shot and Jimmy Stewart is a terrible Mm -hmm. one. But we don't actually know that that's true. Right. We don't 
there's no possible way for us to know who actually was the man that shall be balanced. And the doctor of the town did not examine the body. And so the two shots were a He's pistol. <laughs> were a, uh, yeah, a pistol and a shotgun. And those are pretty different wounds. It was a rifle. Not a, yeah. It was a rifle? I'm yeah. sorry. It doesn't matter. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, and so it's... Which is also the better... Not this, the better story for, like, emotionally, but, like, for people. Yeah. Which do they need? Because they didn't need another gunslinger in town. They needed to become a state and get the law out there and get this and that. I mean, like, yeah, it was yeah. it was interesting to watch this as an adult because I have not seen it for a very long time. Same. And, uh, <laughs> I I I find it a lot more ambiguous than I did initially because now, like you know, like Kara was saying, like one of my first thoughts was like, did Donovan shoot? Or did, he, or did he tell Ransom that because it's what Ransom needed to hear to to keep doing the stuff that he believed in? Like, I, I'm actually a little torn because, like, for all we know, he could, like, uh, he could have stood there and, like, what? Like, the, the only person who would know for sure is Pompey. And as Jeremiah pointed out, Pompey never gets to say anything, so. <laughs> <laughs> Pompey gets to say one thing, and that's lip service when he's yeah. in class and he's reading the Declaration of Independence. Yeah. And yeah, he, he says all men are created equal, and that's it. Yep. No, he forgets. Yeah, yeah, he forgets. And then Jimmy Stewart's character goes, that's the one people tend to forget. And <laughs> same to you, Mr. Floyd, because yeah. <laughs> Poppy then asked to leave by his white master. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. It's, uh, it's one of the movies, so this is actually something from my mother, who said that like a lot of John Wayne's later movies later movies and start of his whole career, but they're predicated on the fact that we know that John Wayne is a hero and we know that he's a good guy. Yeah. And so when you see him on screen, you know that this is the hero and he is underneath all of whatever else he does and says, he is a good, cool dude. Right. And so that is very much, he's very cool in this movie. This is a very cool John Wayne movie. Oh, I would say that he says Pilgrim a little too much. He does. Yeah. <laughs> Like but you have three times too much. I was like, that doesn't fit here. There's no need. But you have two heroes. Like yeah. you have your two heroes that can either be kind of bad heroes or good heroes, but they're definitely going to be heroes. Right. And so it's it's interesting. I I very much wonder what the people at the time when they saw this how they felt about it. Also, again, like. This woman, Haley, is clearly in love with these two men and, like, the different sort of aspects of her life that they represent. The man that teaches her how to read and brings her this love of education and what the future will bring. And this other guy is a sort of rough-and-tumple, local, no-nonsense man, which is also, like, how she is. And again, and uh, John Wayne sort of was like, I'm going to give up my claim to this girl because I can tell, A, she's in love with this other guy and she has feelings for another man. She's useless to me. And the B is also sort of a sense of like, this is what the future is. Like, I have nothing to offer her. Like, I was going to offer her a house and this man taught her how to effing read. Like, that's, <laughs> that's, like, that's, that's a pretty not... compelling offer. Yeah. Yeah, here's the thing. Like, I think for me, it was like, you know, I know John Wayne's supposed to be the guy we root for. At the same time, yeah. he treats her kind of like shit. And yeah. he's never around. And all Jimmy Stewart did was like, oh, you want to learn how to read? Do you think I can? Of course you can. Like, he had a little bit of faith in her. <laughs> he was like, yeah. you know what you could well, probably do? Learn to read and write like a human that's being. That's one of the things that, like, I, I, like watching this, uh, I find Tom, like, a much, uh, like, yeah, less obviously good guy, but also a much more, like, ambiguous character because I, 
the way that I kind of want to read it is that he, uh, as as uh, Ransom, as Jimmy Stewart, starts to sort of find his feet in the town and start helping people actually change things. I feel like Donovan's character seems to have, or at least maybe I'm overreading it, seems to have a lot of shame about the fact that all he did was help keep the town in stasis. Yeah. And, like, that's part of why I, I kind of wonder, you know, whether or not... Uh, I, I mean, I don't want to say like, no, did you th- maybe he didn't shoot it? Like, because I think the more interesting question is like either, you know, whether he did or not, like why he told Ransom that and like that. that as- so, so just just for clarification, uh, Ransom is nominated to represent the state, to mm-hmm. represent uh, the territory becoming statehood. And all the people cheer for him. And someone else is like, why should we is just is a political, like a politician, cold-blooded through and through. That is Major Cash's Starbuckle, played by the immortal John Carradine. And so in this moment, what happened is this guy's like, oh, don't root, don't vote for Jimmy Stewart to represent you, don't vote for Ransom, because all he is is a murderer. All he did was shoot this guy, and you're calling him a hero, and ignores the fact that he's like, you know, a lawyer, and has taught people how to read and started at school. And Ransom walks out of the room, and John Wayne's character is kind of, drunkenly around the edges bitterly angry that he's decided to give up on a woman who for no reason <laughs> and because really he sees that she kind of likes another dude and i'm like god get in there show her what you got like he's a virgin dude god anyway um okay first off this is my issue with most love triangles there's no yeah. need no. There's no need. Like, like she's not even clearly in love. She's yeah. in, Carol, she's, what's that movie that you always talk up? Bandits. That I, yeah, Bandits. That's it. That ends with just like, no, we're just going for it. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, and so Jimmy Stewart's character is like, he's right. Like, it doesn't matter all these other accomplishments that I have or all these things I wanted to bring. All, I shot a guy in the face and that makes me a hero. Like, I should represent these people. Like, I wanted to bring a better life. And instead, I just brought the same, you know, SSDD, same shit, different day. Mm. Excuse my language. <laughs> and John Wayne is like, really? That's why you're not going to, like, represent us and our need for statehood and you're going to let this idiot cattle burn do it is because you think you shot a guy. You didn't shoot a guy. I shot a guy. Now get out there and do your job. <laughs> yeah. It's and like then. His- his his most triumphant moment is there. Like that is uh, like you're n- like, and it's it's great because he's kind of bitter. It's like you're not the hero that these people. It's very Batman. Like you're not the hero. You're the hero they yeah. wanted, but not the one they deserved. I'm the one that they deserve, but I'll let you take the credit for it and mm. make this into a better place. Because I'm just going to leave it as trashy as it was, and you're going to make it better. Mm. I'm also going to be bitter about it and ruin your life. <laughs> but. Like, like, it's very much like that's why he told it is to make Ransom get up and, yeah. uh, n- you know, represent these people. And so, of course, that does bring the question. That's the story he told. But is it true? And even if it is true, like he o- he wasn't Wouldn't matter it, either like, way. Yeah. yeah. Right. We'll um, never know. And the only person that can say is his manservant, Pompey, <laughs> who's black and who he says was there. And Pompey does try to say something at the very end. Uh, Jimmy Stewart's like, hey, I'll see you on the flip side. And Pompey like starts to say something, and Jimmy Stewart's like, I don't want to hear it. Like, Those are all brilliant ideas, Kara, and I respect you for coming up with them. I know. I came up with them independently. No one else mentioned them to me literally right before we had this chat. Yeah, no, that's fine. I'm not going to be bitter about you <laughs> taking things that I wanted to talk about and presenting them as your own. See, there's no way to know. The only person who will ever truly know if I stole your ideas is going to answer that we don't have. <laughs> Uh, just real quick. 
I don't mean to interrupt this uh, drama over here, but Poppy <laughs> is played by uh, William Strode. Yeah, you have a Strode. fascinating history. Yeah, he was a fantastic. If you ever get a chance, look up the Wikipedia page of Woody Strode. He's honestly my favorite, like, trivia part about the man who shot Liberty Valley. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, oh. But you guys uh, figure that out. Um, <laughs> but no, like, one of the things I will think that, that does point out to what you guys are saying, John, hmm. uh, John Wayne's character does stand up for Ransom behind everyone's back. Like, he's mm-hmm. the one pushing Ransom. Yeah. Yep. Like, I think he recognizes the Old West is changing, and mm. there has to be some kind of civilization. Because the whole point of the Man of Shadow Liberty Balance is the, nece- the necessity for civilization in the Old West. The necessity mm. for... Like it, it literally. I actually, so I, I want to put put things. So we're saying civilization, and what we're talking about is rule of law, because essentially this is the way of the gun. Yeah. Whoever has the biggest, whoever is the biggest sociopath and is bluntly <laughs> willing to murder people, like openly murder and beat and torture people, is the one who wins. And so with this, this film is rhetorically arguing like this is not the values of the United States. It sometimes will be like this, but really we can have things that are better, and we can have fairness and voting and equality and a free press and safety for people. And so that's what's voting is like. Sometimes you have to be brutal to bring in a better world. And, that's, and that's also all- the. The Indians are completely absent, which yeah, I think no, is what? important oh, to yeah, know. No, the natives almost, in, in a John Ford movie, the natives will only be there if there needs to be an action beat or an enemy. Um, <laughs> which is also another oh. reason why John Ford movies are problematic. Not as much yep. as John Wayne, who was also a white supremacist. But that's yep. Yeah, yeah it's, it's actually a sad fact. We watched on Windrock. Oh, that's, that's the hero. Keep your eye on that hero, dude. And um, turns out he was just, just a a giant awful person and this is really heartbreaking for me uh, yep. um, the, what John Ford does do in this movie and a lot of westerns don't is show you the sort of political machinations mm. of a small town like, I mean, yeah. it, even inclu- it, it even includes an elementary school civics lesson to make sure everyone's on the same page right. not only that but like we see the nomination process but then we see them go to the next biggest town and yeah, see yeah. the political theater of the partisan action. yeah the guy riding a horse up onto stage right. <laughs> yeah somebody makes a horse walk up a flight of stairs and I'm like really that's what you spent your time on yeah. and everyone's giving big speeches and the guy's like I don't want to give a big speech gives a big speech and like it's like that kind of thing. Most mm. Western directors don't do. Yeah, the the like the, it's sort of just shoved into the background of like now that's how the world works, but we don't deal with it here. Right, because for, like towards the end of uh, the la- the post searches, I should say, mm. and probably right around the time of my darling Clementine, John Ford was mm. never really interested in the gunfight as a climax so much as mm. almost like an anticlimax, because the man who shot Liberty Valance. That gunfight takes up very little yeah, of the movie's yeah, time. It's, uh, it is, uh, like, the, the only thing that makes it seem, it, well, A, it's the thing in the title, and B, it, it happens twice. Like, that's... Right. <laughs> <laughs> and it's seen as the motivation for one character for coming, uh, like, the next phase of his development. But it's yeah. not that much about gun. Like, it takes up maybe a whole five minutes total mm. of a movie that's, like, almost, what, two hours? 
Yeah, well, yeah. The, the, the movie, a, I think it's a little over two hours, yeah. The, the movie is very much about the philosophy of the changing of Americana. And also, so the character Haley not only cannot read and write, but her parents are Swedish immigrants. Yeah. Am I right on this? Yeah. yeah one of them are, is recently naturalized, and when he goes to vote, he waves it around proudly. Yeah, he's super happy about it. Mm-hmm. And and they're very sweet. And so it has what, what's odd is again, so you have these immigrants, and they are beloved by this small town. They run mm-hmm. a restaurant. Their daughter is seen as like an absolute prize to be won. Their food is the best. Everyone respects them and loves them. So it's so it's odd. Like he he specifically chose to include this these immigrants as heroes. Well, I mean, yeah, they're good white immigrants, though. Well, yeah, so. also, and there's definitely that. And this is also the fact that John Ford's parents were, I believe, Welsh immigrants. Wow. John Ford made um, How Green Is My Valley, which is mm-hmm. a very personal story for him because his parents were coal miners, Irish coal miners. Mm-hmm. So that's like, for him, that's the immigrant story, white immigrant story. <laughs> yeah. So that is part of, like, that is... John Ford putting John in a John Ford movie. <laughs> and uh, yeah. But but like this is a movie that's very much about like America and the facts of the Old West and the sadness and the brutality of it. Well, certainly facts about the Old West. Yeah, well, well, it, it's, it's almost more meta about the genre than it is an yeah. example of the genre itself. Mm. Yes. The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance does, will not truly, I think, make sense unless you have a good grasp on what a Western is. Right. And speaking yeah. of a movie that doesn't make sense, <laughs> one of my favorite movies. Woo! This one. Johnny Guitar uh, by Nicholas Ray, who also did uh, Rebel Without a Cause mm. and A Lonely Place. Uh, one of the few openly bisexual uh, directors of the time. And... And it comes across in the fact that it's one of the only Westerns I know of outside of, I think, Bad Girls or Rowdy Girls, mm. uh, which is a 90s movie, where the <laughs> Western, the two main characters are two women. Yeah. And yeah, I can't say that. Uh, I, I, I do not know why this movie was called Johnny Guitar, <laughs> because it is not about Johnny Guitar. In order to get it financed. Mm. Oh. But also, Joan Crawford got <laughs> top billing. Was this, was this like after her... This is the, which, the, which, the tail end of her career. Oh, I'm like, well, which phase? Because her, her career ended and resurrected itself several times. Right. Um, so which which end of her career was this? Was this before or after um, Hush, uh, whatever happened to Baby Jane? <laughs> uh, just I love before. that movie. Okay. Uh, yeah, and this is... Um... Yeah, and this is like before. Because mm. what have happened to Baby Jane is in the 60s. This is like in the 50s. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But so it's it's one of the other ends of her career that she had. Unlike the other movies, Johnny Katar isn't so much a narrative of Western as it is almost like a psychological exploration of Western tropes. Yeah, yeah, I can, uh, it, there's a lot going on. Uh, this movie has way more subtext than most Westerns would. Well, what I love about Johnny Cadella is the subtext sometimes becomes the text, and the text takes a back seat. And <laughs> yeah, then yeah. all of a sudden, sometimes the text will come back and just shove the subtext back underneath. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it is, uh, uh, 
I don't know. I'm I'm having trouble saying like I I have positive things to say about it, but I'm like I, I feel like I'm gonna make it sound like I'm ripping this movie up, and I'm not. Like it's I it's all over every place. weird moment of this movie. Yeah, it's it's all over the place in a very strange way, and but uh, it, like a it good feels one third of it is just intense stares from Joan Crawford. Right. Well, as <laughs> as Kara put it, it feels coherent because once again, narratively, it's all over the place because he's not really concerned. Yeah, but tonally it does. Right. Uh, tonally yeah. it fits because tonally it's a one pitch and that's a fever pitch. Mm. Yeah, this movie. this mm. movie is like like keeps you in a dead sweat the whole time. Well, because like the the inciting incident is is to bring about the constant threat of a lynch mob, and then the rest of the movie lives right. under that. <laughs> Well, this movie listen. also has the peculiar thing of movies in the sixties and seventies when they're like, let's just cosplay historical garments. And this is a fifth. This is early fifties. Yeah. Sorry, early fifties. But did... Joan Crawford's costuming in this movie is real weird. It's real, <laughs> real, but I love it. Like it's real that weird. White dress against the red clay wall as she's at the piano. Yeah, which they clearly did just to make it look cool. No, well, no, I like the part where she gets set on colors. fire. Oh yeah, and the colors are sort of like the, he he's very much about the emotion. Mm. So you have the cool blue because it's kind of a really light blue, a bright light blue. So you have the cool blue, and then she's in the red shirt, and then the bright yellow shirt. The all yeah, vibrant yeah. colors because the emotions are as vibrant as the colors in the movie. Because everything, yeah. there like is... I said, play for the like whole notes. Mm. So, so, so Joan Crawford is this saloon owner, and everything goes sideways. And essentially, this dumb kid who's riding with a gang of idiots go full. They go bandit, and they rob a bank. And he gets the kid gets shot, and he's hurt. And so he has this huge crush on Joan Crawford's character, and he runs to her for help. He's bleeding like a stuck pig everywhere, and she's like. I don't. She, so her whole plan, like she has this plan of she she wears pants. She's very ma- not masculine, but she's wearing pants. She's very tough, and she's like, "There's a lunch mob coming for me. I'm going to send everyone away. And when the lunch mob comes, I'll be a beautiful woman in a white dress playing a piano, and I will just suck the tension out of the room, and I will be able to send them on their way." Mm-hmm. And it almost happens. She almost does it with like feminine cutting Joan Crawford beauty and wiles. She almost turns big, like this enraged mob. <laughs> and it's it's like, it's a, such a relief. And then this dumb kid is hiding and he falls out of a hiding place. And it all goes, it all goes sideways. And they're both going to be lynched, which is yeah. like, they're going to be drug out and hung and they're going to die hard. Hmm. Um, and they tell the kid, if you sell out the one, like this crazy woman that leaves the lynch mob, Emma is like, if you sell out What's her name? Vienna. Vienna, Joan Crawford's character. If you sell it, Vienna will let you go. And the kid turns to to Vienna, Joan Crawford, and says, what do I do? And she looks at him, and there's this moment, and she says, save yourself. And he sells her out, and then the crowd kills him him first. Because you can never trust a mob. No. (laughs) I have seen this movie like a dozen times, and every time I watch it, it feels like the first time. Mm-hmm. Because one of my favorite scenes is that first uh, scene where the dancing kid comes in and you have Jack yeah. Katai talking to the dancing kid and they're both sort of saying, these are weird names to have. <laughs> yeah. But these are our names. Do you want to change them? <laughs> like, nope. <laughs> and then he's like, do you play? Yeah. Prove it. And so he starts playing and then the dancing kid grabs McKinney Cambridge's Emma and starts dancing and then they remember there's a dead body on the table. 
<laughs> uh, <laughs> describing that because that all makes sense if you see the movie. <laughs> well, the best part is they leave the body on the table and then they have to like. It's very weird. <laughs> it's so also, good. like these people ride. So the bank is robbed in the middle of a funeral, and that's what kicks off the posse. The bank is robbed in the middle of a funeral, and so these men and this woman, all in their funeral clothes, go posseing out. And there's like a 24 hour cycle. Right. And I point out to Thais, I'm like, so these people have been riding hard for 24 hours in their funeral in clothes, their funeral. the best clothes they have, which are very uncomfortable and likely wool. <laughs> they have not eaten, they have not slept. And it is Sunday morn, and they're gonna shoot a bunch of people to death. Yeah, but you know, it's it's important that they all be dressed in black in in a uh, you know threatening capacity because, well, you know thematically, I, I actually you know what? No, I changed my mind. It doesn't make sense. I don't know why people in the film industry in the fifties would have a preoccupation with mob justice and uh, <laughs> and people like rabbit. People like like ratting each other out to try and save themselves, but being destroyed anyway. Yeah, that's actually a very unique. I've never heard of anything like that before. <laughs> uh, also, like much like Johnny Katara is a Western, almost in name only. Yeah, kind of. Oh yes, <laughs> because it takes place in the West. Yes, but it's really not concerned with anything our normal Western is concerned with. Most, mm. espe- most especially male machismo. <laughs> in fact it almost finds male machismo kind of like hilarious and charming yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, that's not, yes it's been five years there's never been any other man you're the yeah. only person I thought about <laughs> that's, uh, yeah the the it is interesting because like it's it's not not a western but it is very much using those those like the in a lot of ways like the way that uh, Liberty Valance is building on these things but like not you kind of have to already be in on the western ideas like this is using an understanding of what a western is to tell a psychologically like focused story right like liberty valance is like oh this is the genre of the western whereas john mm-hmm. Buffett, uh, sorry uh john guitar is like yeah kind of we just want to get inside these really weird minds that just happen yeah. to be in a small old west town yeah uh, well, and we have it take place in the Old West, so that way we can have, like, less trappings of law and order to keep the, the human, like, petulant rage in it's check. It's also a very small town that only exists with the people who happen to be on scene at the time. Yeah, there's yeah. A, we, we see no other locations other than the bar and the hidden hangout. That's it. And the bank. Oh, yeah, the bank. I'm sorry, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I like the way that this town is implied to be, like, about 60 dudes and one crazy, crazy woman. <laughs> All right, so we got to wrap it up real quick. Uh, oh. Real quick, of the three, which one do we all just like the ones we picked best? <laughs> uh, I mean, I do actually. Okay. Like, I, 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 I ended up liking Unforgiven probably the best. I, I, although I do have a different appreciation for the man who shot Liberty Valance now. I, I, it's interesting to think on. Kara? Uh, Kara? I'm so sorry. What was you cut out? What was the question? Do we all just like the movie we chose the best? Ooh. Yeah, Kara's the vote that I'm actually most curious about because I know yours hasn't changed, Jeremiah, and I know mine, uh, and I know I am still like, no, I love my, I love my weird Japanese western, but. Uh, I mean, which are we asking which movie is like the best film? Or to which you, movie just to you. To you, which one did you like the best? Hmm. I hated all of them. They made me sad. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> That's all the time we have, folks. <laughs> we'll be back next uh, next month with uh, Antifa podcast once again. Uh, uh, <laughs> say goodbye, Thad and Kara. Uh, down with fascism, solidarity forever. <laughs> I pick. I, I I pick my own movie. <laughs>